welcome to Discovering Spirit Within. This is Reverend Deborah Phillips coming to you from Spiritual Life Center in Sacramento. And Reverend Donna Apodoni is with me today. I'm sure many of you know her from her work with CAP Radio as host of Morning Edition and CAP Radio Reads. She's an interfaith minister. She was ordained in New York in 2009. She is a great speaker, and she speaks at several churches around the Sacramento area. And she is the teacher and designer of the Transformation Path, which is an amazing class that she teaches once in a while. And you should actually check that out. Hi, Donna. How are you doing? Welcome back. Always nice to be here, Deborah. Thank you. So we decided that we wanted to talk about resilience because for some odd reason, we thought coming out of the pandemic might, uh, you know, spur us on to talk about that. There might be a reason for it. (laughs) It seems to be calling, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. Yeah. Why did you pick this topic? Um. I'm guessing, well, I have watched about, uh, let me explain first that uh, right now we are just starting to come out of the pandemic. If you're listening to this in like 2025 or something, we are coming out of um, the pandemic and people have been pretty much isolated for a year and a half. And coming out, everybody thought, I think we all thought we would just come out of our houses and be screaming with joy, but there's a lot of angst, there's a lot of confusion, uh, I believe that there's been a lot of repressed emotion. And in the last three weeks, I've, I've, I've watched at least three people just have big emotional meltdowns. And so it's making me think that, that we've, there's a lot of things that we haven't dealt with yet. You know, it's like we dealt with in the moment, but it's like any crisis. A lot of times you get through the crisis and then you sit down and you just ball your eyeballs out. And so, and of course, it will manifest for different people in different ways. Uh, thankfully, we women have permission to cry. <laughs> True. Yeah. But uh, there's a there's just it's like the stress is the stress of coming back out is as much or harder than than just having to stay home. So, I just thought talking about first of all defining resilience, and then just talking about how we how we experience it you know, and, and what other people might do to, to find some resilience. And for me, resilience is being able to recover, to keep going when things get really, really tough and not, not collapse underneath it. I'm not I'm sure. I'm glad you defined that. So it's a matter of keeping going. It's not necessarily um, doing better or, or rising up, but it's just walking through. And not, yeah. and yeah, and not, and, and not, yeah, just not completely collapsing um, yeah. under it all. Uh, Although I think the meltdown idea sounds cleansing. You, you mentioned the three people who had meltdowns who you witnessed, and I thought, I'll bet they feel good now, and I'll bet that's a, yeah, that's a form of resilience. Maybe you don't want to have the long game be a collapse, but a momentary cry maybe a little tiny meltdown and collapse along the way is probably really healthy we've been holding our collective breath for how long now i think about 15 months so it makes sense that when the door is open when the freedom is allowed it makes sense that we might look around and say 
And that whew, comes out as fear, as anger, as a lot of emotions, because we just don't know what to do with it, because we've never done this before. Well, you know, you and I both um, live um, fairly quiet lives. And I will notice that, like, if I've had a whole day where I've, I've uh, been home and I've done things and I haven't talked to anybody all day, and yeah. then my husband will come home or I'll talk to somebody else, and I'll feel realize... I'm really in a pretty crappy mood, but because I was by myself and I didn't have to interact with anybody, I wasn't really aware of how I was feeling on that level. And when another person shows up, I'm like, well, grr, on you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it also, when you were talking, makes me think of, you know, how a little kid will fall and they'll hurt themselves or they'll fall and they'll be fine until they see mom. And then they cry. And then they go to pieces. Yeah. Yeah. That's very much what we do after a pandemic. Yeah. And out of a out of a lot of situations too. There's that, you know, if the people who go through some sort of a maybe an auto collision, something like that, they go into shock. And then when that wears off, they're kind of looking around saying, wait, what just happened? And I feel that we went through the 15 months of shock. And now we're saying, wait, where are we? Where am I again? We have a lot. So the resilience seems like a lot of recall, a lot of recollection, a lot of remembering, trying to say, where was I before that whole thing happened? Maybe you want to get back there, maybe you don't. But where was I so that I know what my starting point is now? Well, I think we've also found out that that the world is not what most of us thought it was. In other words, um, we all walk around thinking that we're really safe, at least here uh, where we live. you know. And we have found out that what a lot of other people knew is that the world is not necessarily safe place and it's been right in our face. Yeah. And, and so there, there are people who go through some sort of continuous trauma. There are people who go through uh, sort of an, uh, it's part of their lifestyle, not through any fault of their own. Um, For whatever reason, they're always feeling that anxiety that some of us felt primarily for a short period of time. There are people who have that as their lifestyle. So for them, there's a different kind of resilience that's more like survival. We're talking about resilience as um, sort of a blessing and a release. But I'm always conscious of the fact that there are some other people for whom that is a resilience is just getting up the next day and making sure you get through it. Okay, that's an amazing point because, you know, when you talk about resilience, the, the idea is that in my head is often that I'm going to bounce back and I'm going to be happy. It's not that I'm going to survive. It's going to be beyond on survival. And it's like, I, uh, there's a, a woman named Brene Brown who has written several books. One of them is, was about perfection. And she talks about resilience in, in that book. And I think she has a new one out too, but um, is that the, the ability to bounce back or come back from a traumatic experience partly depends on, I think, your personality and partly probably your life experience. 
Um, I'm an extremely resilient person, and I'm not sure how much of that is my personality or the fact that, you know, from the time I was quite young, there were always things happening in my family. And if if I didn't learn to be resilient, I would have just, you know, kind of been steamrollered and not been a very functional person. And so I learned to um, kind of stand above it, rise above it. Um, and just, or maybe not, maybe it's not even rising above it. It's just walking through it and going, I'm still okay. Maybe that's what resilience is, is knowing you're okay, no matter what. Well, that's a good definition. It also seems like it comes in degrees, maybe even stages. Now, I'm feeling sort of resilient right now, but I still have a little bit more to go before I feel like I'm okay. Um, it's, it feels like it happens Maybe it's not a light bulb moment. Maybe it's not that quick. Maybe it takes a little bit more time. It also feels like it takes a village. I think resilience has a lot to do with who's around you, what the opportunities are, but also what the support system is to be truly resilient. You know, stages and degrees is a really good way of putting that because I have days when I feel like um, I just don't want to try anymore. I just want to sit down and stop, leave me alone, stop making me <laughs> do it. And then there's other days it, it's like I'm tired, uh, but hey, I can do this. And then we also learn. And then and so those of us who I think have sort of a natural re resilience, um, we can help teach people who don't. It's like you don't have to do it all at once. And maybe that's part of the thing is, are you resilient? Well, no. Well, yeah, but you can, you can resil for five minutes. <laughs> is resil a firm a word? Anyway, you know, you can be resilient for five minutes. You can be res resilient for 10 minutes and then work your way into it. But that's also where the, the village comes in. You know, if it takes a village to be resilient, it takes a village to do just about anything, I think. It, that's where the village comes in because somebody has to show you some tools. Not everybody has the tools. Not everybody has that natural resilience, but with a little bit of information and with a little bit of, of teaching and education on that, you might find out that you can be more resilient than, than you thought. And that's why I was thinking about the um, groups like the original function of the YMCA or some of the um, groups uh, that have worked with people who are new in a country coming from another land. You know, how do you learn that sort of integration into a new society, into a new place? That takes some resilience, but it also takes a lot of hand-holding for a lot of people. Not everybody is capable of doing that on their own. So sometimes that, that village is an important part of resilience. Yeah, I'm always so fascinated when I talk to people who just picked up and moved here from another country. And I often wonder, I don't know, I could do it, you know, and I and I'm so amazed and in awe of people who come and build a new life in a new place. And of course, if I had to, probably I could. But my first reaction to that is I no, I couldn't. And and also other cultures don't don't think the way we do it. I remember there was a man who was talking about um, his father. And I can't remember where, what country he was from, but he said his father, wherever they were from, there was nothing in their language that talked about what could be or what could have been, so that they almost always lived in the present. So there wasn't, oh, I picked up and moved. Well, that's what I did. 
I don't, I'm not sitting here thinking about what I could have done or what could have been if I hadn't, or, you know, all of the could have, should have. Or I'm afraid to, they just did it. They just did it. That's fascinating. Yeah. And there was actually no concept in their language for. Well, if I were going to move to another country, I'd want to move to that country (laughs) that lives in the present. (laughs) That sounds like a really nice place to be. At the same time, he, yeah, well, but at the same time, he had, I'm sorry, I didn't interrupt you, but he, he had trouble getting his father to kind of move forward and change in some mm. ways mm. because he didn't see, he, he didn't look forward. He just looked at where he was now. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's blessings and everything, right? And, and drawbacks and everything. <laughs> I've been thinking about resilience a lot in the last couple of weeks because a very close friend of mine, is just recovering from a very serious, very sudden illness that what a week, week and a half went by and we weren't sure if he was going to live through it. And he is with some considerations with a lot of changes in his life because of the illness. When I talked to him on the phone, um, he started talking, okay, there was a lot of there were a lot of medications involved. So this may be why he was just so positive and moving forward. He was talking about the illness and what that was like, but then he also talked about, you know, here's what I think I still have to give. I think that that I have this thing I need to do. I have this purpose and here's what I'm thinking about doing it with it. And he started talking about some of the options that he felt he had. And I got off the phone and I thought, he knows how sick he was and he knows it could have gone the other way, but he's focused on now and the future. And he's focused on what those stories will become. And so I thought we are as resilient as the stories we tell ourselves. Absolutely. So maybe that's why some people are able to get through it and move forward and other people aren't. Some of it might be just a natural part of our personalities, but for some people it might be, there might be the additional element of, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to get through this. Somehow I'm going to do this. And you keep saying that to yourself often enough and long enough until you do get through it. And I also think sometimes you just get so worn out by the battle that that maybe there's this time of, oh, I'm going to stop fighting this. And then when you stop fighting it, it's like, oh, oh, there there is light at the end of the tunnel. Oh, you know, and that that whole giving up, that whole releasing, letting go thing that, uh, you know, we say so much in, in our spiritual teaching of let God and let go and let God. But that letting go thing is not easy. I mean, you let it go and you keep taking it back and you keep taking it back and you, oh, I like that. I think I'll take it back again. But sometimes uh, a situation, I mean, I've, I've seen this and it kind of sounds like in some respects, maybe your friend, is that they've been through it. They've been through the whole thing. And it's like, what else, what else am I going to do now? I think it is different for people who have hit bottom. You know, some people, he, he hit a physical life-threatening bottom. 
other people hit bottom with with drugs or alcohol or whatever. And I think I think for people who hit bottom, resilience was a tough lesson to learn, but it's a much different definition of resilience than, oh, I couldn't go to a concert because there was a pandemic over the last 15 months. You know, it's a it's a much different dynamic in life. And so the resilience and the and the getting back to a new life or getting to a new life is totally different it is and and you know the other thing is is that when someone's going through an illness or something like that there is some sort of introspection i think that starts to happen and you know with people being confined the way we have over the last 15 months there's been a lot of forced introspection because people who would and and I get this from Facebook, and of course we know it's got to be true because it's on Facebook, right? Um, but there's it's kind of an interesting cross section of people that are. I was making comments on on Facebook. They're thinking about things that they never would have thought about if they had continued to be so busy, right? Yeah. So we've been forced to stop and look at ourselves, and of course not every single person has, but many more probably have than would have been. I think you're right. I think you're right. It has been a good long stretch of a lot of people being alone, a lot of people being with their thoughts, a lot of cleaning was happening around people's homes and yards, but also a lot of internal spiritual cleaning going on. And that's been a very important thing for a lot of people. And I'm really glad for that. I'm sorry about so many other things that have happened um, that have not been good or healthy or, or in economic welfare kind of got shot there for a long time. All of that is unfortunate and it makes me very sad, but I'm glad for the people who were able to reach inside. And that's what the Brene Brown work reminds us of too, that it is, it's individual, it's choice. I may not be naturally resilient, but if I have something that requires me to be resilient, if there's something I need to get through and need to do it, then I have to really reach inside in a big way. So what maybe uh, this time is, is telling a lot of people is that they've got more reserves than they thought they had. Hmm. And that, that's got to be, be part of it, too. It's like, oh, I didn't know I could do that. I've been so busy with my life and doing my job and doing my career. And I'm thinking mostly about, you know, a lot of the, the people under, I always keep joking, 106, all of the people say, you know, that are out there with, with the jobs and the families and the, you know, the younger people coming up is that you're so busy doing all of that, that you often don't have the time to, to reflect on these things. People say, well, gosh, you know, how come spirituality so often comes when you're older? It's because you've got the time to do it. Yeah. You've got the time and the space. If you've got a job and you're raising children and you're in a relationship, <laughs> there isn't just, an extra second in the day. There isn't. And so um, a lot of, a lot of uh, the younger people have been, were forced into this situation. And mm -hmm. I know a lot of them are thinking, rethinking their lives. I know that there's a, uh, going to be change in how people want to work. We're already seeing it. We're already hearing about some people don't want to go work for, you know, like the fast food restaurants and stuff because they don't pay enough. It's like people are looking at life very differently. 
And, yeah, I'm hearing uh, about a lot of employers who are having trouble hiring people. Yeah, people. You're right. People don't want to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because when people worked in fast food to begin with, it was because they felt they needed to, because they felt they needed that job. So now to turn that around and say, I don't need that job, I can find something else, is uh, is a high level of resilience. Not only getting through it, not only mm-hmm. getting past that, but actually taking that to the point where you do something entirely different with it. Yeah, I think it's just sort of like uh, taking a house and, and gutting it and, you know, taking it back down to its bare bones and then, then remodeling it. And, you know, you can't, no change happens without some sort of destruction somewhere, uh, to use the big word destruction. You have to tear something apart before you can re- redo it, rebuild it. And yeah. so you know, this has been an interesting way to kind of take us all apart a little bit and watch, watch how we all come back together in, internally and externally. And they say it takes, what, a full generation, a full lifespan of a person to forget that lesson and have to learn it over again. So... so so we have, you know, people who were born at the beginning of this pandemic, 50 years from now, something else will happen where they'll relive some aspect of that and have to learn the lesson again. That's, that's true. I've heard historically that that's true in terms of economic depressions and recessions. That's where I got that little tidbit. But when right. we apply that to a pandemic, it's like, oh, yeah, what's it going to take? And in fact, this pandemic came almost exactly a century after another similar situation. It did, so, didn't. Yeah. Yeah. So it takes that long for for humanity to collectively forget and need to learn. So while we have this lesson, let's do something with it. Yeah. You know, I remember when, when this all first started and people were, were you know, scared and upset and uh, they couldn't believe this was all happening. And then I was saying, well, you know, our generation has been through, uh, my generation has been through, let's see, it started with the assassination of JFK. And then there were a couple, there were more assassinations, uh, King and and, and Bobby and, um, and then the Vietnam War and this, all the things that, you know, and it's like we, I kept saying we've survived all these and we have come back and we, we have been stronger and we have been, you know, we have learned from them. And this was a completely different animal because in all of those events, all of those things, we were still living our lives. We could go to the grocery store. We could go to get together. The people who like to party could party. Um, you know, you could still go to church. You could do whatever you wanted. It's just uh, icky stuff was happening. But this affected everyone absolutely personally. No one escaped having this affect them personally. Now, this is something I think that is fascinating about the human psyche and the human spirit. So in in this pandemic, in this COVID-19 situation that we've just gone through, whatever people think about it or believe about it, yes, we all stayed home for a while. Yes, we all lived differently for a while. Nothing like that, as you've just pointed out, has happened for many years, not for 100 years. 
that was the last time it happened. So there was all that forgettingness going on for the last hundred years, and it'll become forgotten again over the next hundred years. Now, what is it about the human spirit that does not collectively retain that? Why don't we retain that? We retain um, you know, all other sorts of, we don't have webbed fingers anymore or webbed feet. We've, we've made progress in some other areas, but there are still things that catch us off guard. It's almost as if we need to learn that lesson all over again, every couple of, of generations, every hundred years. I'm fascinated by the fact that our, our spirit allows us to forget the lesson so that we can learn it again and the period of time that it takes to get to that point. Well, that's my sociological lesson for the day. <laughs> but you know, so much of our lives are based on experience, right? Yeah. And if we have not experienced, it's like, um, <clears throat> I was born in the, uh, I'll just say it out loud, the late forties. <laughs> <laughs> How courageous of you to mention that. <laughs> um, well, it, it's, you probably need that context because most of the adults around me were very, very deeply affected by the depression. And honestly, the, and I was in a small town in Northern Arizona, but I heard more and experienced more people having some sort of reverberation from the depression than I did from World War II. Hmm. Um, and maybe, and maybe they just didn't talk about it. I know there were a lot of widows in, in, in my town, but we never talked about that. But, you know, it was like the people who saved rubber bands. Um, I had a, a step grandmother who, um, she was, let's just say it wasn't an easy relationship. And I stayed with her once and I was little and I had a, a glass of milk and I hadn't finished it all. And I grew up in a family where I didn't have to finish every single thing. I walked over and I poured it in the sink. Well, I was short. I was little. And I poured it in the sink thinking I was home free. Well, there were dishes in the sink, which I couldn't see because I was too short. And I got the lecture of my life. And it was probably a tablespoon of milk. Mm. And so um, that generation carried that whole, you know, the whole thing from the depression through. Um, and of course, the 50s were incredibly prosperous. So you have these kids coming along, we're born in the, 40, in the 40s and the 50s, we're seeing all this prosperity. And we've got these other people telling us, you have to save everything. Don't throw mm -hmm. away newspapers, don't throw rubber bands. Uh, I, had, I knew a woman who had this huge collection of rubber bands, she tried to use them, they were rotten, because she'd kept them so long. But so there was this, 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 this lack of, of understanding and experience that we had had, because we were living in an extremely prosperous Okay, we could die any moment from a nuclear, you know, from, from you know, bombs, but we were prosperous. <laughs> and, but this, this other generation was pushing all of this, this sense of lack on top of us. And so maybe that was the big, maybe that was the big generation gap for us, which nobody really thought about too much, is that we were like going to go have fun and they're going, oh my God, we have to be too careful. So we just, um, every generation has its own experiences. And we don't want to listen to the people behind us because what do they know? They're old. They're old, exactly. <laughs> so, so what's funny about this is that there is no collective memory for this. Yeah. There, we do have to learn the lesson. Over, so, you know, you're talking about uh, a generation or two ago when you were a kid and the people who were old at that time. So let's go back then to Abraham Lincoln, to John Adams, to... 
ancient Rome. This has been happening since the beginning of time, that all of this stuff has been happening. There have been pandemics, there have been wars, there have been depressions, and no one was allowed to throw the milk down the drain. And every generation that's come along has thought that people before them were old and stupid. What a fascinating collection of humanity we've been all this time. But in the middle of this fascinating collection of humanity, we've made it this far, so we're resilient. Yeah, humans are incredibly resilient. I mean, we just we just are. And um, I think what's different about this time is that we have like three generations alive at this point. The the yeah say, um, and none of us have none none of none of the generations have been through a pandemic, right. And uh, but at the same time, the resilience is just um, incredible. And, and, you know, and I talk to people, I'm sure, you know, people who have been uh, people who have been in the military have gone through horrendously horrible, awful things. And and some people are uh, there's their spirit is crushed by that and they end up in really dire straits. And then there's the people who just come back and they they get on with things. Part of that is like we've talked about, I think the natural personality, but it can be learned to, to, if a person really doesn't want their life to be so hard and difficult, resilience can be learned, but I'm guessing that those people really have to work at it more. And that's where the village comes in. And to be fair to the people who have gone through a war, I mean, there is truly such a thing as PTSD. And before that, it was called shell shock. And Absolutely. those people really don't have the choice. There is mm-hmm. a there is a damage that has happened that we can't see, but it's the equivalent of a physical damage. It's just happening in their brains instead. Yeah. And and we, I can't, I would have trouble saying, well, they could have been resilient if they'd wanted to, because that's a totally different situation. So we're still talking, when we're talking about resilience, we're still talking about this not the universe of humanity, but this uh, group of people who are a little bit smaller who can make the choices, who right. do have those options. Uh, but yeah, to 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 remember that it can be taught and it can be learned. Those are two very different things. I, it's important to me if I run into a situation where resilience is going to come in handy. It's important to me to know that it's never. I should never be desperate about it because I can learn some form of resilience. Mm-hmm. It's just as important for me sitting here talking to you right now to remember that I can teach it yes. to someone. Yeah, and to yeah. hear that person and find that person, whether I know him or her or not, and say. And if there's something I can do and I have a responsibility and a duty as a person of spirit to, to do that. Because yeah, the way we need to remember that each one, of, each one of us is a walking example for someone else. Yeah. And my father died when I was 21 and I had just driven in my little car down to Phoenix to finish celebrating my 21st birthday. I got to Phoenix I walked in the, my friend's apartment and the phone, my, they handed me the phone, said that my father had died. So my mother sent, uh, uh, it was a county sheriff, a little tiny town. So, I mean, you know, the county sheriff was a pilot. And so he and his na- and our neighbor came down and, and picked me up. And my neighbor's father had died a few years before. Now, he was only seven years older than I was. So I think his dad probably died when he was about 21. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting there 
kind of in shock, but I remember thinking, well, if Jack can get through this, I can too. And he and I didn't talk. He didn't counsel me. He just was there. And sometimes just being there, I mean, people who have really serious cases of, of PTSD, sometimes just being there, you know, not trying yeah. to, not trying to make, cause you can't make somebody be resilient. And that's no. not, that's no. not what we're talking about here. We're talking about how do we find our way through difficult times. Mm-hmm. Yes. And thank you for bringing that up because the example I was giving, I was using the word teaching resilience. Mm-hmm. I was using that teaching word, but you're right. It's not instructive. It is just being, it's just holding a hand physically or emotionally. It's just being with that person, um, sharing more than teaching. So that, that is an important differentiation. Yeah, but you can you can feel when you're with someone who has had that experience and you can feel that it's being passed along to you. So as as the people who can also pass it along to others, right. we have to be aware that we have that power of a sort that we can share with somebody else. Yeah. And, you know, and there are classes. I mean, it's like Brene Brown talks about resilience in her books and I'm, there's classes on that and stuff. But the people who who probably have enough resilience to go to resilience class <laughs> yeah. are already partway there. Right. right. And so it's, it's, it's understanding, again, we come back to that spectrum, you know, the, yeah. those the degrees, the degrees of, of, of where, you know, and I mean, and I have days when I feel more resilient than other days and I'm probably one of the most resilient people on the planet. So I, I don't really get to talk about someone who's not resilient. I, I, I don't get to do that. I get to say, okay, how can I, how can I help, you know, what, uh, and, and learn, it's interesting to learn from people who are struggling, you know, to, to, to see what, to, to, maybe it's about learning compassion, well, or feeling, understanding compassion, understanding where someone is in a moment, and not, not naming them victim, just seeing them for what they're experiencing. Right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. so you the know. teacher is the student as well. You know, and you've talked about how um, as uh, when you when you do stories that that are so heartbreaking and you sit there and you have to read these heartbreaking stories. Oh, on error. Yeah. In the middle of a news show, there's a news story and then you have to give the weather. What do you do? Yeah. And and I I listened to you talk about that. It's like I could I go I couldn't do that. You know, and so that's the other part of it is we all have different different abilities and abilities and resilience in different areas. And I look at, I think that's okay. It's a slight challenge. It's not really challenging at all, but in my mind, a doctor or a nurse who's having to deal with something else that's, that leaves them feeling traumatized. That's a different kind of resilience and something I look up to. Everybody, no matter how resilient a person may seem on the outside is still looking to someone else for that lesson and that example. So what we're discovering is the resilience is a not one size fits all. And it's not, not, I mean, and we all have our different areas where we're more resilient than others. And there's no time frame for it too, either. There's no, um, there's no beginning and end to resilience. Really. You can't say it's going to, I'm going to be back uh, in a month. I'm, I'm so resilient. I will be over this in a month. There's no time frame 
for it like that. And there's no, uh, there shouldn't be any expectation of a percentage. It happens in stages, it happens in percentages, but you, can you say I'm only 10% resilient or I'm 100% resilient? So those measurements that we put on other things don't apply to resilience. Well, you know, I mean, the 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 um, what do the the British call them? Agony ants, uh, like uh, dear Abby, and you know, <laughs> um, people are always writing in and saying, you know, my my relative died, and everybody's mad at me because I did or didn't do this. And it's like grief is different for every single person, and we all have to walk through it in our own way. And trying to make rules about how a person's going to grieve and how long they're going to grieve and what they're going to wear while they're grieving and who they can talk to while they're grieving, I think that's 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 that comes back into the whole resilience thing is like you work through it when you work through it. It's interesting that it got, took us to this point in the conversation to bring up the word grief. You're talking about the kind of grief that comes with someone's death, someone's passing, that, that you're experiencing the sadness over. But anything that would require resilience is a form of grief. Absolutely. Whether it's illness or war or depression, it, we're grieving over something and we're walking through that and we're measuring, supposedly measuring our resilience. Because it comes, all comes back to loss, it's the sense of loss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it does. And in the pandemic, the sense of loss of what personal freedom, the sense of loss of the uh, feeling of safety, the sense of loss of not the not, not, honestly, the sense of loss of feeling like <laughs> I know what's going on. I know that's con that's convoluted, but you know, there's been so much confusion for the whole the whole 15 months of what you know from the beginning of how dangerous is it and what should we do and should we vaccinate and blah, blah. I mean, it has just gone on and on. And so that whole sense of knowing what's going on, that's a loss too, because none of us have known. And there's layers and layers and layers of loss. There's the people who have had, I know someone who had something like six family members pass just from COVID. And I have people who, I know people who don't even know anybody who ever had it. Mm -hmm. And then all of all of those things in between, and every every loss requires some form of grieving. We have to we because if we don't acknowledge it, we keep it in. And maybe that's coming back to our beginning conversation. Maybe a lot of what's happening now is the grief that people were feeling is starting to come up now. People are starting to express their grief. Yeah, we've moved from, and I don't mean we necessarily as individuals, and, and not everybody's included in the we, I'm about to say, but a, a good portion, a good number of people felt fear. And with a reopening, the fear is turning to grief before we can release it. I agree. I agree that there's, uh, and it we're and we're readjusting again. It's like, Change is hard for human beings. And we yeah. had this massive change 15 months ago. And then, oh, let's do another massive change just for kicks. <laughs> yeah. You know, let's let's come back out into the world. And and it's going to be different because um, I'm, I'm wondering how, how long it's going to be before people stop walking around each other in the grocery store. I mean, it's, I know you haven't been in a lot of grocery stores and stuff yet, but it's, I call, it the, COVID, I call it the COVID shuffle. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, you know, and, and when will people start cramming up, you know, in line when you're in line in, in a grocery store, when right. will people start cramming up next to each other again? Right. Yeah. And because we've gotten so used to staying away from each other. When will people shake hands? I mean, we, yeah. we do see people shaking hands. We do pe- see people hugging, but it's mostly family members mm-hmm. who have called each other in advance and said, are you okay if I hug you? I'm really looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. But just the random meeting of someone on the street or introduction of one friend to another, you wave, you shake hands, you know, how long will it take before that sort of touching happens again? And it's part of the part of the grieving process, but it's mm-hmm. also uh, a lesson in resilience yeah. to observe each other and to to witness in each other how that's playing out and to respect it in each other. Yeah. You know, um, at uh, SLC, we're starting to reopen we've done it gradually and we've had people coming and we they were socially they were distanced everyone's sitting six feet apart and they were just desperate to hug and we kept saying please don't we you know we're not we just don't and so the first week that was hard the second week it was a little less hard and then last week when I went people would just start bowing to each other Mm-hmm. And so that was the kind of resilience is like, okay, you're going to, you're going to really insist that we don't do this. What do I do? And it was like, could we just continue bowing to each other? I think that is so, it is so cool. And it, it feels so respectful and it feels, you yeah. know, and, uh, but I, it struck me so much is that at least three people just sort of spontaneously did it last week. No That's discussion about it. That's so it was just cool. this, this transition of like, okay, I need to get something out of this. Bowing to a person has, it's not like touching them, but it has, it is a way of connecting. It's a way of connecting and it's very respectful. Um, I have a friend, I have a friend at work who hugs himself. He can't hug you. He can't hug me, but he hugs himself. And it's so easily communicated what that means. I would hug you if I could, you know? So yeah, all of those signs of, of respect and, um, and affinity are all going to come back but maybe in some other form for a while. And that's our resilience. And here's something else that's very interesting. You and I have spent a number of these podcasts talking about what's it like to be in a pandemic? What's it like to be out of a pandemic? I wonder, you know, on that hundred year range from pandemic to pandemic, from depression to depression, how long does it take before people stop talking about about it? it? That that will be well because we have a lot of new vocabulary now, yeah, and we have a lot of uh, different things going on. So um, it will be it will probably be a couple of generations. Yeah, uh, I'm really wondering what the oh what maybe the middle schoolers, the really little kids probably aren't going to remember much about it, but the middle schoolers on up is like how is this going to what's how is this going to inform how they raise their children. Yeah, I mean, you know, what is going to be the long, because our generation just said, the baby boomers just said, you know, we're not doing anything our parents did. Right, right. And so um, it's, I, I doubt if I'll be around for that um, in, in 40 years, but, you know, it'd be interesting to see where, yeah. where, where this all leads and, and how it, because it's changed everybody. Everybody has, I mean, I, there, there can't be a, a person who hasn't been affected in some way or another and that's the other part um it's like when uh, 9-11 happened I remember somebody told me you know we're in California and somebody said that 
um, you know, the stores were closed. Remember we had those, those few days where everything just yes. stopped. Yes. And apparently some, a, a friend of mine ran into this woman who said, she was just, just furious that all that happened because what happened back East had nothing to do with us. Hmm. And my jaw kind of dropped because no, it did. It didn't affect me personally in my everyday life, the way it obviously did the people who had the actual experience, yeah. but it changed the world. It changed our lives. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, we can't, but we, and I think we like, you know, I just realized something, Donna. I think we like being oblivious a little bit. We like to, we, <laughs> and we have to live in denial, or we couldn't, you know, move forward on some level of denial. Well, that and was so, the collective memory that I was talking about. Yeah, yes, I think we that's. Do, I think we, that's what it is. Is that so? We, so you're saying it, it's not by chance that we're we don't have a collective memory. It's because we choose to be oblivious. Well, or maybe it's a nat. Maybe it's not a. It's not a conscious choice, but it is like if I stay stuck in the fear of this, I'm never going to be able to get anything done. Yeah. So as a as a as a generation, as a, a collective memory, we have to move on. Mm. It's mm-hmm. like you know, um, I've been sort of fascinated about some of the stories that you read, like during World War II, where people were just being killed, and you could. The stories of people walking down the street going by dead bodies, and I'm sure that this is true in parts of the world now, is that you can't do anything about it, so you just have to keep going. Yeah. I mean, it's horrendously horrible to even think about. Yeah. Um, but then so when we we bring it back to the lighter side of where, you know, it's a pandemic, we had to go inside for uh, uh, too many months, um, but we can't live in that moment. We're not going to be able to live our lives if we stay all wrapped up in fear like that. So I, and I've watched us humans for a long time. And I think we have a natural form of denial that keeps us moving. I agree. Yeah. I just realized I can measure my pandemic resilience in when I will actually run out of toilet paper. that thing at the beginning right better get some more because who knows what the chain is going to be and and yeah and so I still have a couple packages and yeah and then you know probably the biggest gift for resilience is humor the sense of humor I think you're right you know yeah and by the way yeah go ahead we couldn't laugh there was a lot that we could not laugh at during this whole stretch of time and so, yeah, when you start to hear people laugh, we can't tell if people are smiling because there was a mask on for such a long time. But when we can hear that laughter or see the eyes light up, then we know we're we're resilient. But, you know, I've noticed something is when we first started wearing masks, people would you just look at them and you couldn't tell if they were smiling or not. But I started noticing that people somehow started figuring out how to smile with their eyes. With their eyes and with how they use their heads. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, It was a big transition that we all had to learn, but we all wanted to learn it. You know, that was a conscious decision on my part. Like, how can I express myself to someone who can't see half my, most of my face? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because I also realized how much we all rely on lip reading, even though we, we're not, you know, between hearing the words and seeing the mouth move. Right. There was the, the so, so basically we adapt really well 
most of us, human mm-hmm. beings, human genes in general. And then, then we have trauma that comes in. And maybe that's where you really start talking about the resilience. Because the truth is, um, human beings in general are extremely resilient, or we wouldn't still be here. <laughs> that's true. That's true. We lasted this long somehow. Yeah. Well, good for us. Good for us that without even knowing, I mean, think think how many people are resilient and don't know what resilience is. They just somehow get it done. So for all those generations and all those eons, that's been happening. The good for us for having that natural resilience that has brought us this far in spite of ourselves. Absolutely. And I thank you so much, Donna, for being with us today. And I'm sure I will be uh, talking to you very soon. Always a pleasure, Deborah. Thanks. Thank you for listening today. Discovering Spirit Within is produced by Spiritual Life Center. If you enjoyed our discussion and feel inspired to support us, you can go to slcworld.org forward slash donate. And now, until we meet again, deep peace of the running wave to you, deep peace of the flowing air to you, deep peace of the quiet earth to you, deep peace of the shining stars to you, deep peace of the son and daughter of peace to you, and may the joys of the world go with you.